It's such a joy and privilege to be with you guys. I've heard and I've been watching for so long all that God has been doing here. You see, the really, really cool thing is the Proverbs, um, um, the writer of Proverbs, he says this. He says, for we may make our own plans, but the Lord is who orders our steps. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, there's, uh, there's a, a great leader that led the church that Billy and I came from in, in Rockford, Illinois, and, and he said this. He says, providential um, uh, or pivotal circumstances lead to providential relationships. And it was a pivotal circumstance in, in both Billy and my life where we ended up at Heartland in different ways because of the way God was writing our story. And uh, turned into a providential relationship. Um, I remembered we were just talking the other day, Billy. We, I would come to your office on Friday mornings, and we would talk about the things of the Lord. And just in our talk, usually the room, like if you would have stepped in, it would be almost like the day of Pentecost. You probably would have gotten saved over 20 times again and again and again because we were so like my, we still are so, we're such kindred spirits, and we have one goal which is this, total surrender to the lordship of a God who's way beyond what we could ever imagine or hope for. And then and as we surrender, we lift him up and exalt him to his highest place, the throne of our lives. And with no regret, no holes barred, no doubt, no fear, straight on exaltation. And, and so we would have these just wonderful times of, of fellowship and, and encouragement and, and, and even worship as we spoke of the things of the Lord and his goodness. And, and here I am today, you know, um, you know, five you know, or so years later, four years later, um, sharing and continuing that relationship um, with, with, with such a dear friend, both um, you and Carolyn. So um, thank you so much for having me. Um, what an awesome opportunity. I am beyond grateful and honored to, 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 to stand in your footsteps on this stage. Um, thank you. Well, you know, um, we just had a chance to, to praise together, and we're going to do a little bit more um, in a little bit, so don't get tired on me because my God is not dead. And he ain't sleeping. The psalmist says, I will lift mine eyes to the hills and their creator, the one who made the heavens and earth. For he who watches over me never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's ever over me. So if we got to go all night tonight, he'll be up. It's okay. Um, and he, yeah, so here you go. I won't do that to you. Um, you just can leave me here. I'll stay. Um, here's the deal. People ask me most frequently, as I said earlier, they say, Lennox, you know, what is it that you are on? Because, you know, we heard for you're from Jamaica, and we know what grows there, and um, the, that energy, where does that come from? Um, what, what is your deal? And I said, well, you know, the thing about the, the, the green grass in Jamaica is it doesn't make you, you know, <laughs> it doesn't give you your energy. kind of, baby, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. You're just kind of, you're relaxed. You're calm. Trust me. I know. I was born there. Um, well, here's the reality. Here's what gets me overwhelmed and uncontainable or unrestrained in my response to God is the reality that Jesus knows me by name and has started a story from the day I was born um, until this very moment, 
and it's a story of miracle and hope. And you know, if you were to go buy uh, uh, an appliance or the latest gadget that's out there or the latest computer or the latest whatever it is that you're into these days, um, you're always looking at consumer reports and you're always looking at who says this thing is good and what good has this done for somebody else. And if it's done good for you, then I'm gonna try. But if you got it for yourself, right, and it's amazing, and it's unbelievable, what do you normally do? You tell everybody about it. <laughs> Y'all, guess what? My refrigerator's got a screen on it. I can see when my groceries are out, and I can, you tell people, get one, because it reminds you, go to the grocery store, you're, you're hungry. There's no food, right? You tell people about it. This is me. This is my story. And it begins, Psalms 40, verse 1 to 3, and it says this, I waited patiently on the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the miry muck, set my feet upon a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. Now many will see and hear and put their trust in him. So many people, you know, have life verses. And, and for me, this is just that verse that I go, man, David, when you wrote that, man, <laughs> The Lord was thinking about me because this is my story. My mom was six months pregnant in the hospital in Kingston, Jamaica. And uh, she was wrestling with high blood pressure. And, you know, that's to be true when you're pregnant and you've got high blood pressure and it's out of control. They put you on bed rest, right? And my mom was a nurse. She was a nurse at the hospital and she did, you know, a whole bunch of uh, caretaking Right, But this time in particular, she was getting cared for. And so she was on her hospital bed laying there. And uh, my grandma, um, she was a seamstress at the hospital. She worked in the sewing room, made all the gowns and all the, you know, the, 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 the linen and the, 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 the bed sheets and all of that. She would sew and, and the lab coats. They would just sew them for the doctors and, and nurses. And my grandma was in that apartment. So she would, you know, come every morning before she would go to the sewing room at the hospital and just, just visit my grandma and check out how she was doing, or visit my mom, I should say, and check out how she was doing. And, and uh, one morning in particular, my, my, my grandma comes to visit my mom, and she realizes that my mom has this rash. Now, as I tell you my story tonight, I'm not going to give it all away, right? I'm going to give you bits and pieces because I want you to want more. Because outside, we're going to have a, 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 a table with, with, with a, uh, I was able to, by the, just the blessing of our God, with my wife, write my story in book form. And it takes about two hours to get through it. So if you're a slow reader or a fast reader, fast reader, you might do, be done in five minutes. Slow reader, uh, two, three hours tops. So, you know, you grab that and you'll hear the full length of the story. Because if I were to tell you all that God has done in me, we literally would be here all night. So here we are. My mom, my grandma finds out she's got this rash and she um, goes, she says to my mom, she says, you know, you have a rash. And my mom says, I know, I, I just had this fever, and I, I, I don't know what, what's going on, why I, I just, I'm achy all over. I don't know if that has anything to do with my blood pressure. And it, my, my mom says, you know, I just, it just is a weird thing. And my grandma says, okay, hold on. 
So my grandma went down to the nurse's station. Now, I want to give you a little bit, tidbit of information about Jamaica. Um, I think it's still true today as it was back when I was, you know, um, in the womb. That's a long, long time ago, trust me. Here we are in Jamaica. One of the things that's true is if you ever go there and you have a medical issue that you got to go to the doctor about and it's a secret, like it's embarrassing and you want nobody to know, don't go to a hospital in Jamaica. HIPAA does not exist there. They will tell. What is she in? Oh, she came in for a bunion. Excuse me. I don't know. Man. That could be private. I don't know. They don't have a limit on what they say or can say. There's no such thing as doctor-patient confidentiality. Maybe it's changed since I've been there. But my grandma goes to the nurse's station and she asks boldly, what is the lady in next to my daughter for? And the nurse says, oh, she's got the measles. Now, if you think about that, you can't put a, um, a, a, a birth mom, a mom who's with child, next to somebody who's got a virus like the measles or the chicken pox. Um, there will be... Uh, it's inevitable that there will be birth defects. And so, um, rightfully so, this happened a lot in Jamaica because it's a third world country, especially back in those days. And they would just terminate the pregnancy if they found out. Now, my grandma worked in the hospital for so many years. She knew this. So she said to my, 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 my mom, she says, she goes back to my mom. She says, the nurse said the lady next to you has the measles. Do not tell the doctors how you feel because you know they will take the baby. You don't tell the doctors how you feel. I will go home and I will tell God. So my grandma left that afternoon, went home, and started this prayer meeting. And this prayer meeting grew for weeks. And I'm still being developed in my mom's womb. And she's still on bed rest and, you know, still wrestling through the measles and, um, and all of that. And this prayer meeting is going on and developing and growing. It grew so much so by the time I was born, uh, they had to start a church, they had to plant a church in my front yard because of all these people who gathered to pray. That sort of stuff don't happen these days. But it happened, and a church was birthed. Well, um, you know, three months later, I was at full term, and the doctors found out in that moment that I actually, my mom did actually contract German measles while she was pregnant, but we were full term, so they couldn't terminate the pregnancy at that time. I was born, and when I came out encounter, I was perfect, and I still am. My wife, she fights with me over this, but I, I'm going to count it as a blessing. I'm still perfect. That's what my mom says, and moms are always right. Um, yeah, nothing. They couldn't see anything foreseeable, you know, like issues that would be a birth defect. And so they were like, oh my goodness, well, you escaped it. Something, somebody must have been praying or something. Well, of course they were. My grandma was. And this passed and I went home and at about six weeks into life, they realized, you know, my mom and grandma realized I wasn't watch, I wasn't following motion. Because, you know, little babies, you move your hand over their faces and they go back and forth and follow. I wasn't following motion. So my grandma said to my mom, don't you think this baby might be not seeing well? And my grandma, you know, as best as she could, 
And, you know, just, I would say, as soft as she could say this without offending my mom, try to explain, the baby's just not following motion. And my mom would just be like, no, don't you say that. I rebuke that statement. My baby is whole. God has done a miracle. Don't you take back what God has done. And my grandma's like, well, let's just take him to the hospital and see. So they took me to the hospital. And um, my, you know, long story short, my mom was sitting on the other side of the room. And she could hear the nurse say to the doctor in the, the other room, doctor, don't you think this baby is blind? And the doctor says, yes, this baby's totally blind. I was diagnosed with congenital glaucoma. Glaucoma, uh, till this day, is a disease that affects the optic nerves. If you are born with glaucoma and you are born totally blind, there is nothing with all the modern advances of medicine that doctors can do still this day. There's nothing. If you're, blind, if you're blind with glaucoma, you will be blind forever because there's no cure for it. Well, my grandma believed that he who began a good work would see me through, and he was not done yet. So when I was diagnosed, my grandma wasn't okay with that. She says, okay, the doctors, you can say that, and you can believe that, but there's a, there was a, there's a church that started on the foundation of prayer for this young baby, and this baby is alive, and if God can spare his life, then he can definitely open his eyes. And so we're going to continue to pray. And my grandma continued. She prayed. And the prayer team prayed. And the church prayed. And, uh, you know, I was home and was growing but still blind. They still prayed. They still prayed. They still prayed. I was eight years old. They went in to do a procedure on my left eyes just to relieve some of the pressure by poking three holes at the top of it. Now they do it with a laser. And uh, they came out. And I remember, I do remember this, my grandma and a prayer meeting just laying hands on me and them calling on the healing hands of Jesus to say, you know what, the, the doctors aren't going in there to replace or repair, but we're asking you, God, to guide their hands and do what they think is impossible. So they come out from this procedure, I mean recovery, they take the patches off to check, you know, um, the pressures. And I start screaming bloody murder. And they're trying to figure, well, maybe the pressures are still high. So they try to put the patches back on. I stop screaming. They take the patches back off. I start screaming. And then when the doctor says, maybe, the, maybe he's seeing. Because, you know, if you think about it, um, I'm eight years old. Eight years of developmental, um, of my development, I was unable to see so my brain doesn't know how to communicate to my eyes to say oh you're seeing and my eyes doesn't need doesn't know how to communicate to my brain to say oh I'm seeing so you know all of this is I don't know what's happening I don't know that I'm seeing I couldn't tell them but they believed that there was something that was happening in me and they figured it out they said oh I think he's seeing this got the doctors real excited I was born at the university hospital Kingston, Jamaica. The University Hospital is the only training hospital in the Caribbean islands that trained back then, you know, all the doctors from the Bahamas, from St. Lucia, all those Caribbean islands would come to Jamaica and train. And so, of course, these, you know, these ophthalmologists are going, we could put Jamaica on the map for not just Bob Marley and reggae music and ganja, but also for the cure of glaucoma. So what did we do? How did we do it? What did we do? So they try to retrace their steps. 
They're going in and out trying to figure out what they could have done to, 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 to cause me to see, and they could not find it. They couldn't figure it out. And the reality is it's because they didn't do it in the first place. It was never about what they did, but it was always about what God was doing, the God of the universe who delights in things that are impossible. And so here I am. I can see, and the doctors are like, we don't know what we did. And we're like, yeah, you don't know because you didn't do it. So we believe that by the age of 12 years old, you're going to go blind again. So they got me enrolled at a Salvation Armor School for the Blind where I was learning to read Braille, and I was learning to, to, to do all these things as an independent, visually impaired young man. They predicted that by the age of 12 years old, I would go blind again. Well, 12 came around. And I was seeing better than I ever was. I was learning to read Braille. And I was learning and I was doing so well at it. But I started to see. And so my brain, instead of feeling the dots, now I was just like looking at them. And I would get, I would get like, you know, spankings uh, in school. Because instead of feeling the dots, I would stop feeling and just start recounting the dots. And go, oh, that's a B, that's a C. And they would say, no, 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 you're supposed to feel them. But I couldn't help it because I was seeing well, took me off Braille, and my grandma would always remind me, like that old movie, Simon Birch, you're a miracle, you know. When are you going to turn your heart over to Jesus? I didn't want to. I want to turn my heart over to Jesus because in Jamaica, in church, you either, if you go to church in Jamaica, you got to not listen to reggae music. And Bob Marley says, one good thing about reggae music is when it hits you, you feel no pain. And I, you know, was an auditory learner. I grew up, you know, there's a church in my yard, and my grandma was a singer, a song leader in the church. So she would sing, and she was a worshiper. So I would just always be in love with music and love the reggae culture. And I was like, if I got to choose between, you know, church and reggae, well, I'm going to choose reggae. So I chose reggae and, you know, neglected the church that was in my yard for many years until one morning early my grandma says to me, the church is having a um, summer camp, and I think you should go. And I said, mm-mm, that's not my scene. And she goes, no, 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 you need to go. And long story short, the night before the trip, um, we, you know, we were $500 short. We needed that money, but we didn't have it. And uh, my bags were packed. And my mom says, you got to go to bed early because the bus will be here at 6 and you're getting up at five. I said, well, how am I going to get on that bus if I can't pay, if we can't pay for it? And she says, I don't know, but I believe God wants you to be there. Well, I, I just laughed at it. I'm like, they're not going to let me go on the bus if I don't have the money. So it's a done deal. I went to bed that morning, five o'clock. What do you think happened? My mom wakes me up, Brian, all right, let's go. It's time to go. The bus is going to be here in about an hour. And I said, did we get the money overnight? Was like, did the tooth fairy come or something? She's like, no, but God, my grandma used to always say this. He is seldom early. He's never late. <laughs> He's always on time. Well, my mom wakes me up. I'm dragging myself out of bed because I don't want to, and I know we don't have the money, and I'm so upset. She goes outside and make me some tea, and 
I crawl back into bed because I'm like, we don't have the money. It's like, why am I getting up anyways? And I crawl back into bed and I hear this knock on our door. And I say, oh, who could be knocking on our door after five in the morning? So I run to the door and it was a lady from, from the church. And in our churches in Jamaica, we call, you know, the, 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 the woman sister and the, the men brother. So, you know, as a sense of title, if they're members of the church. And it was one of our dear members of the church, Sister Brown. And Sister Brown says, Lennox, good morning. I said, good morning. She says, well, um, would you, is, is your mother here? And I said, yes, it's five in the morning. She, she is. And she says, well, um, would you hand her this envelope for me and, and, and just, just, just tell her the Lord laid it on my heart. And I said, okay, thank you. Um, go back to your bed because I'm going back to mine. Um, and took the envelope. I set it down. As I set it down on the, the dresser, I'm crawling back into bed. And my mother walks in the room. She says, Lennox, who was at the door? And I said, oh, it's Sister Brown. She says, well, what does Sister Brown wanted this early in the morning? And I said, she just left this envelope and said, the Lord laid it on her heart. Well, she says, go get me that envelope. So I went, got her the envelope, brought it, and um, my mom opens it up, and it was $500. <laughs> Guess where I'm going? I'm going to camp. And I could tell you stories about going to camp. I'll never forget it. But I got to camp, and they sang Amazing Grace, the youth choir. They got to the part where it says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Encounter, here's the reality. <laughs> I was physically blind at one point, I remember. I was blind all the way up until I was eight years old. I would say, oh, Thank you for this lovely shirt. What color is it? And they'd say it's blue. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> I don't know what blue is. Didn't know. I was totally blind. But now I see. And as I sang through those words, that, that lyrics, I, I, I was reminded, also, I'm spiritually blind. For you see, God has been doing a work. The scripture says, he who began a good work. From day one, I have a disease in my eyes where there is no cure for it. And I was born blind and I can see. And the doctors are baffled. They can't figure out how or what they did to make me see. I used to read Braille. I walked with a cane. Now I don't. I see. I lead all the other blind kids into the walls when they mess with me. I was really nice back then. But I see. I can see. How is that possible? Amazing grace. Church, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. <laughs> and it was there that I received real sight. Because I saw my need for a savior. The one who has been rescuing me from birth. And I said yes to Jesus. I got baptized a day later, got in the bus on the way back. And I didn't have that far of a vision. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't as good as it is today. But I remember was pulling this bus, pulling into our, 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 our uh, um, little um, district, they call it. And as it's pulling in, all the parents are waiting for the children to get off the, boat, the, the bus. And as it's pulling in, I, from a distance, could see my mom and I could see her lips moving. And all I could see her saying is, you're saved. You're saved, my son. You are saved. You are saved. She knew it all along. Three months from that date, exactly, the Lord 
called my mom home to be with him. My mom was a single mom, a mother of three boys. My father, um, I don't know if I can say this in church, but they call him a bed, I'm going to say it, umbrella of grace. They call him a bedroom bully. He was a father of 23 children and counting. And uh, he established families all over the island while he was with my mom or married to my mom. And they couldn't, you know, they, my mom found out and he left us. And so she took care of us three boys. And um, I just got another background story on my mom from the day I knew her. Um, and actually, my grandma says from she was 18 years old, she wrestled with um, diabetes, hypertension, and she had three different bouts of cancer and beat them all. Um, lived until she was 42 years old. Most of her life or career as a nurse, she spent receiving care at the hospital instead of giving care, like I said earlier. And now, um, when I was born, she took it upon herself. She felt so guilty, so so sad that she was not able to control her own blood pressure that she did. She had to be put next to somebody with the measles, and then I got it. And you know, so she lived with that. So for me, I was like her pride and joy. She did everything for me. Losing her, I remember the morning, Sunday morning. She was in the hospital on a Friday. She had a, 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 a brain aneurysm, went in the hospital on a Friday. Um, they said she was going to be out by the Tuesday of the next week. I went to see her that Saturday, left the hospital, went home so that she could rest Saturday night, woke up early Sunday morning to all the lights on in her house, and uh, my, my, my grandma walks in. And I, I don't know how, but I just knew something. And the minute I saw my grandma, I started saying, no, grandma, no, no, grandma, no, grandma, no, grandma. And she said, no, no, no. Look at me. Look at me, grandson. She says, God will never teach you to swim to let you drown. He's been teaching you to swim all these years. From the day you were born, you were six months in your mother's womb. He started that process. And he is not through with you yet. He is not done. So you hang in there. You hold on. For he's the father to the fatherless. He is the lifter of your head. And he will make a way in the wilderness. He will deliver beyond what you could ever imagine or hope for. Encounter for the next six months. It was the darkest time. Even though I could see physically, it reminded me of just being in this tunnel of darkness and hopelessness and fear. I was so afraid. I was afraid of ghosts. I was afraid of everything. I, was, I mean, it was, it was one of the darkest moments, but in the midst of that, God still kept me. There was still a peace that I came to know. And, uh, I remember my grandma saying, God will never leave you as an orphan, but he will in turn come to you. And she said he'd provide parents somehow, some way. Now I'm at the Salvation Army School for the Blind. The Salvation Army School for the Blind also has an orphanage next to it called the, called the Nest Children's Home. And because my grandma was retired from the hospital and her pension was very low, she couldn't take care of me. My other two brothers were old enough and they were kind of on their own. And um, so... I became a ward of the state and then just was transferred into the children's home um, by the Salvation Army School for the Blind. 
And there, my grandma kept reminding me every time she would visit, she says, son, God will never teach you to swim to let you drown. You keep treading water. You keep treading water. You keep treading water. He's going to throw you a lifeline. You keep treading water. Well, this family came down to the School for the Blind on a mission trip from, from the Chicago area. And they came down just to serve and to spend some time with the blind kids and spend some time at the orphanage. And they met me and one day just said, oh my goodness, we love you so much. You're so little and cute. We just want to wrap you up in our suitcase and take you back to the States with us so we'll never, ever lose you. And I thought, oh, that's cute. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Is that legal? Can you do that? Well, they said that jokingly one day. That night they went to bed and they could not sleep. Both of them. The next night they could not sleep. And the third night in, they looked at each other and they said, what's God telling us to do about Lennox? We need to get him back to the States somehow. Well, I could tell you, you know, um, the stories upon stories, but paperwork that was supposed to take place, that, that, that we went to the U.S. Embassy and they said to us, um, you know, because, you know, they went and asked my grandma and she said, I always prayed for God to find a family for him. I knew God was going to find him a family. Yes, you can take him. Take him. And she barely knew these people. Well, legalities and all of that to take a... You know, you know how that goes. You want to take somebody from an international country. You can't just uh, put them in your suitcase. There are laws against that. Um, no matter how home American you are, <laughs> they will not let that happen. Um, and so they, they, they go through the process. We go to the U.S. Embassy, and we are at the embassy, and they say to us, you need to get some paperwork, and we're going to give you an appointment to come back 18 months from now because... You know, you can't just take a child out of the country. You got to prove that the mom is deceased. You got to get, you know, the adoption process started in Jamaica, and you got to gain legal guardianship over him. And you know, you got to have a whole bunch of stuff, and it's going to take a while. So we're going to give you an 18-month appointment to come back. So the Bartels and I, we left discouraged because they were, you know, um, they were school teachers, private school teachers, didn't make much money, and they knew there's no way they could come back and get me in 18 months at least at that point. So we left, we went back to the Salvation Army headquarters and as we are heading that direction, um, we ran into a lady and a lady who kind of knew us and said, hey, um, you know, are you guys trying to take this young man back? Uh, and they said, oh yeah, and they said, well, you know, uh, you should, uh, my husband is the head judge of the family courts in Kingston. Once you go catch him, and uh, if you can, he probably could help you out. So we're like, well, I mean, what do we got to lose? <laughs> 18 months, go see a judge. I mean, so we go find this judge. And long story short, he was able to sign, you know, papers and sealed uh, uh, the process for this adoption. And we got back to the U.S. Embassy 3 o'clock that afternoon. We got up to the podium, knocked on the thing. The officer looked at us and she said, what do you not understand about 18 months from now? It's only been like four or five hours. And we were like, no, 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 we've got all the stuff you've asked. Look, look, we've got the paper. We've got, she goes, a judge's approval. How, how did you get, we, she goes, who do you know here in Jamaica? Uh, we were like, uh, Jesus. That's who we know. And so um, I was awarded, you know, to come into the, the, the U.S. as the easiest way for it to get me here um, was to come as an exchange student. And then um, through that process, 
you know, finished the adoption process, came to the States, um, you know, f fell in love with, you know, the, the country and the opportunities that God had for me, loved the family that he brought me here to, to be with. And after about three years of living with them, one day they just felt God saying, you know, we need to release our authority over you. So you, if you can find some place else to live, that's, you know, you could do that. Or we bought you a plane ticket, you could go back to Jamaica. And so that was a heartbreak of a moment. I mean, it's like, okay, God, really? Like, you, it feels like you set me up to let me fall. You set me up, and, you know, like I'm, I concede and my mom dies. And then you send me to America, and then they send me back. Well, God still had a plan, though. He wasn't done yet. He really wasn't. Because that very day that they asked me to either go back to Jamaica or find another family to live with, a family invited me to a soccer game. And it so happens to be that family was really good friends with another family that started the church that Billy and I got to, to, to be on staff at, a wonderful church in Rockford. And we go to this soccer game, and this family um, that, that invited me said, you know, why are you so mopey today? And I said, well, I have to go back to Jamaica. And their middle son said, no, mom, he can't go back to Jamaica. He's our brother. Let's save him. We can save him. And they were doctors, so they, they said, yes, we're going to do it. But then as they were at the soccer game, the, there's a, the other family that were good friends with them that started Heartland Church were there, Mark and Sherry Bankard. And my mom now said to Mark and Sherry, Lennox has got to go back to Jamaica, but we're thinking, and they're like, no, we want to keep him too. And then two other families said, we want to keep him as well. So it was like a timeshare. I should have charged them, Billy. I should have charged, I should have capitalized on that business adventure. Well, I could still go back on it. Hey, Mark, cough it up, buddy. I live with you for six months. Um, anyways, so then they, 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 like four families, church, said, we want him. So I was able to live with these four families, you know, you know, like four, six months at a time. And they kind of passed me around, like passed the Jamaican around, you know, um, and it's great. But did that, and it was a wonderful experience. I learned so much. I felt so much love. Um, and then Heartland Community Church started, and out of that, I get enrolled. I was supposed to go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. That's where I was going to go to college. And with my immigration status and the family not adopting me and all of that stuff, it just threw it all away. But God still kept me. He doesn't call a qualified church. I'm here to tell you. I, you, know, and I, I, you know, I have two daughters, and they will go to college. I will encourage them, and if, if they, you know, if the Lord's not calling them there, I mean, then they can do whatever the Lord's calling them to do. Uh, so I support higher education, but I never went to college, never had the opportunity to. God just had ministry for me to do, and he trained me right on the job. He equipped me with what I needed through the experiences that I had from birth all the way up so that I could tell of his goodness and explain, not only explain, but walk people through hope in their lives because I was a beneficiary of hope myself. So he don't call those who are qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And so Heartland started. I rolled into ministry there and, you know, um, was there and growing, met my wonderful wife there in student ministries, and we got married there and, um, you know, got to meet Billy and Carolyn there and, you know, kind of get to know them and be encouraged by them. And in the process, though, God was working on my heart around this idea, Psalms 40, verse 1 to 3, where it says, I waited patiently on the Lord who turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the miry muck, gave me a firm place to stand. 
put a song of praise in my mouth. Many will see and hear and put their trust in him. And I was leading worship at Heartland Church, and we were about, back then, we were about 6,000 people on the weekend, five services a weekend, and I was leading worship every single week. I got to the point where I was the, the, the worship, I didn't even go one day of college, but I was the worship director over a 6,000 church, 6,000 member church, or 6,000 people church. And I was in that process. I was at the top of my, my, my career and having just a time of my life loving our community, loving what God was doing in me, and loving what God was doing in our church. But God shook my roots and said, I'm going to launch you into something else. Not a painful journey, but that part in verse 3 where it says, many will see and hear and put their trust in him. Yes, I was leading worship and heartfelt, authentic worship every weekend, but I wasn't telling my story. I wasn't explaining to people why I worship the way I do. So I stepped out by faith after the Lord pushed me out. I stepped out by faith and started this, this, this journey. Trevor, the drummer, he's really tall. We'll probably see him somewhere um, when, I mean, I knew him when he was this tall, when I was taller than him. But um, his, his family, his mom and dad are good friends of um, Ali and myself. I mean, we're, we're just like fam we're family. We're bonded together. And, and they decided that they would join in with us and help us launch this ministry where I could share hope through my story and through my song and travel um, all over the country, wherever a door of a church would open up and invite me in. I would just tell of the goodness of the Lord and encourage the, the hearts um, of his people not to just believe in God, because in America we do believe in God because we say on our dollar bill in God we trust, right? But to also believe God because there's a difference. You can believe in something, but sometimes it's hard to believe it. And I believe in our country today, in our culture, we've got, you know, four, you know, your credit cards. And when that one runs out, you can get another one and you're just going to rack it up and rack it up. And you can you can escape, escape debt for so long and still survive. And we rely on those things instead of believing God when he says, for I am that I am who sent you. I am he. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. We fail sometimes to believe him. And so Trevor and myself and his brother Justin and his mom and dad and my wife, you know, we wrote a book and, you know, did all the artwork and we wrote, you know, songs and a couple CDs. We're getting ready to do my third album in December and we set out to to just tell the story. We've been to Jamaica, Trinidad. Um, uh, um, we just came back from Nairobi, Kenya, um, Belize, and we, you know, we're hoping to continue to not only be a evangelist to, to the nations, but also a missionary because it was a mission trip that brought me to this place of hope and freedom. And just follow the great commission where, where, where Jesus says, go out into the world, baptizing people, reminding him of all the things I taught you. And so, all that said, 
my story has led me to here tonight at Encounter to encourage you. I used to always, I memorized this verse a long time ago. Hebrews 12, where it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture says, as I was with Moses, God was speaking to the people, says, so will I be with you. My story might look different from yours, but hope, hope is still available to you. The same hope that I know that has brought me to this point. It's not been an easy road, but it's been a joy-filled, hope-filled road journey to this place. And I don't know where you are at tonight, and I don't know what your circumstances are, but I believe God has, a, has appointed me to come and remind you that he knows you by name, and he is writing your story. And regardless of whether you're up or whether you're down, that he is still sovereign, and that you are the apple of his eyes. And he can never fail. He will never fail. Habakkuk reminds us, he says, watch and wait. Be utterly amazed for the things our Lord God is about to do in your lifetime. If he were to tell you so, you would not even believe him. If God were to tell me, you know, um, I was just even telling Trevor and a good friend of ours last night this. If God were to tell me, you know, uh, you know, four years ago, three years ago, that we'd be traveling the world, we'd be doing this. I would not believe him because, number one, I hated traveling in the first place. But his plans and his purposes, they far outweigh what our human mind can comprehend. And if you trust, and if you hold on, if you believe him and take him at his word, hope is available and real. And through his hope for you, he's writing your story just like he's writing mine. So tonight, I, was, I just want to, would you join me in just responding to this kind of God? God who is closer than even the air we breathe. A God who knows you inside and out, every inch of your life, even the good and bad, it matters to him. The Bible says he's intimately acquainted with your ways. And his desire more than anything else is to reveal himself and continue to give you a hope and a future. Would you join me? Would you stand up with me? And would you just help me to clear his worth in this place? Because I believe that he is worthy. And I believe that he's got you on the front of his to-do list. 